Amen. I guess we're not having announcements, but I guess there's not much to announce. We've been closed for 45 weeks. <laughs> oh, okay, they're playing it online. Okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to Jesus. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for your word. Lord, we approach your word humbly. Lord, we approach your word gladly because we know this is a message from heaven. Your word is God speaking to us, and therefore we approach it as such, Lord. We approach it with humility, Lord. We acknowledge, Lord, we don't know it all, that we can still learn, that we can still grow, that we can still mature. And we thank you so much, Lord, for embracing us as sons and daughters because of your son. We give you praise and glory. Hallelujah. Just pray in the spirit for a moment. I want you to just open your heart today. This message will bless you. This message will set you free. In Jesus' name. Father, we open our hearts to you today. And we say, Spirit of God, have your way in the name of Jesus. Have your way in us, Lord. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to move forward. We want to become Christ-like. Hallelujah. We cannot become Christ-like unless we understand righteousness. And so, Lord, we ask you today, Lord, that you would help us to understand. Help us to understand our righteousness in Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, touch every person watching today, Lord. You know where they are. You know who they are. Oh, Father, and you've called them by your name. Bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the people say it. Amen. Well, you know what? Sunday week, all going well. We're going to have people back here again. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to have people. <laughs> Remember them? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. So we're so excited. We're so glad the um, Taoiseach announced this week they're removing the restriction on worship um, and that we're going to be able to return in a limited format. So uh, to start with, uh, Sunday week, and so we're going to have a 10 o'clock and a 12 30 service, and um, so I guess we're going to be putting them up this week, and so you can book your place. Hallelujah. Amen. So today I have a very special message, reigning in righteousness. And I want to start by reading uh, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. I read this beautiful book last night. You know, um, I was under a little pressure last night, and I said, um, you know, the Bible here talks about that whoever reads this book will get a blessing. I said, Lord, I need a blessing. I don't want to be arrested. So I read Revelation in bed last night and didn't take too long to read it. But you know what? I just went to, I, I went to bed with a full stomach, with a, with a full heart. And um, you know, there's life in God's word. And if you will feed on it, as opposed to all of the various conspiracy things that are floating around and this, that, and the other, feed on the word. That's, the, that's what's brought me through this season is feeding on the word. And um, so again, we must feed on his word. But uh, glory to God, I got a blessing when I read it. But uh, Revelation 5 and verse 10. And uh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Revelation 5 and verse 10. See, that's much better. Um, And you have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. The Bible says we shall reign on the earth. And um, so, uh, I think it's important to clarify, uh, it says we shall reign, but we shouldn't just relegate this to the next life, amen? Revelations 5.17 says, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign as kings in life by one man, Jesus Christ. And so, I believe that we don't have to just reign in the next life, we can reign in this life, True faith in Christ, but uh, not without righteousness, okay? Because righteousness is simply right standing with God. It's the ability to stand in God's presence without fear or condemnation. And ultimately, this is the thing that mankind has longed for since the Garden of Eden. And it's vital, therefore, that we understand it, or else we will struggle all of our Christian life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10 And it says, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds in it, but let each one take heed how he builds in it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will reveal it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. That's why it's so important that we're not just doing the right thing, that we're doing it with the right motives. Amen? Thank you, Lord. And um, it says, if anyone's work which he's built and endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as by fire. Amen. So, again, it's important for us to grasp this because righteousness is the only foundation that we can build on. Righteousness is absolutely foundational to a successful Christian life. And we see here in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind. God put Adam in Eden. Eden. Uh, He created Eve. They were happy. There was no lack. There was no sickness, no death. And now it says, verse uh, 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent is more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat uh, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree uh, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. This is what the devil does. He contradicts God's word. Now, some of you, maybe you're believing for healing and you're looking at your symptoms and the devil is saying, you know, uh, you're deluded. You're going to die of this. There's no hope or this situation can't change. You need to take your eyes off the symptoms or the situation or the circumstances and put your eyes on God's promise and recognize not every voice you hear in your head is from God. Amen? Sometimes that's the devil whispering doubt into your ear. And here he flatly contradicts what God has said and said, you shall not um, die. And so when the woman saw, that, you see the woman and the man, they got into the flesh. And uh, anytime you try to uh, fight in the flesh, you're going to be defeated. So the woman saw that it was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. What are those three things? The Bible says in First John, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Uh, the lust of the eyes, it looked good. The flesh, the lust of the flesh, it tasted good. The pride of life, he said, you shall be as God. You can call the shots in your life. He was essentially saying, you can, you can run your life, you can be Lord, you can have it all, so to speak. And, uh, you know, sadly, they were uh, deceived. Then uh, she took of the fruit and ate it, gave to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Uh, they saw they were naked because God's glory left them. They died spiritually. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the day, the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So we were designed from the very beginning to walk with God. And, and that's why you must have a strong prayer life. Prayer must become a part of your life, the same as having a shower or grabbing your wallet or, or, or having your breakfast. It must become a part of your life. And um, it, 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 for the first time, Adam and Eve were afraid of God, and they hid. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. Why did he hide? He was conscious of the fact that he was no longer righteous. He no longer had access and um, this is what unrighteousness does. And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. For the first time, fear comes in because of unrighteousness, because of sin. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? What's the first question God asked Adam? Who have you been talking to? Who have you been uh, uh, allowing to speak into your life? What associations, what influences have you opened your heart to? And... Um, and the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, what was the first thing? He passes the blame to the woman. Then the woman says, the serpent. So, you know, this is what mankind has been doing ever since. And this is why we're seeing so many issues manifesting in our society. Because everybody's blaming everybody. And nobody wants to take responsibility for their um, actions. And so, Adam sinned. And they were separated from God. Uh, uh, <clears throat> And uh, so they, they were separated from God. God curses the serpent. And um, verse 15, he will bruise your head, you will bruise his heel. Here it's speaking of a Messiah, a Redeemer. Um, and uh, so just for the sake of time, I, I just want to uh, move on quickly from this. But essentially, when Adam sinned, he was separated from God. As a direct, a direct result of Adam's rebellion, man is a sinner. Not just in action, but in his very nature. 
Man is sin. Um, it's not just that we do sins, it's that we are sin. We are spiritually, we are dead as a consequence of the fall. And so there's a void on the inside of every person that only a relationship with the living God can satisfy. A relationship that isn't possible without righteousness. You see, Adam sinned and they were thus ejected from the Garden of Eden. Uh, because he was dead in sin. God warned him, if you disobey, you will die. This is the warning God gave to Adam um, in chapter 2, 16 and 17. But this is the reality. He didn't surrender to physical death until approximately 900 years later, assuming you know, that Adam and Eve were, um, you know, were at the age of... of you know, we're in their prime, so to speak, in their mid-twenties. Or, or, but either way, when he succumbed to death, he was 930 years when he died. So even though he died spiritually when he sinned, it took quite some time until it manifested physically. Uh, but from the very first moment that he sinned, he was already dead. Um, uh, Genesis chapter 3, 22 talks about how and um, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put his hand and, make, uh, and take also of the tree of life and live forever. That God doesn't even finish the sentence. Um, the thought was so awful. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man. And he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned everywhere to guard the way to the tree of life. So man was ejected from the garden. The Bible says he was literally driven out of the Garden of Eden. And instinctively, uh, mankind has yearned um, to get back ever since. You see, man lost his access to Eden when he lost his right standing with God. And since that time... Um, you know, mankind has been doing everything in his power uh, to attain to this lost righteousness, peace, and joy. And the three always go together, righteousness, peace, and joy. I think it's important to understand that. Our problem is we tend to only seek uh, peace and joy, uh, and, and yet we reject righteousness. But the Bible says, it speaks of, in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, uh, again, many believers are seeking uh, a joy and peace, but they neglect or ignore righteousness. And, and it's, uh, you know, the three have to go together, okay? And so, but you may ask, uh, why do we seek Eden? Well, man has sought to achieve righteousness and happiness through many uh, ideas. Ideas, ideals, and means, wealth, knowledge, religion, philanthropy, philosophy, capitalism, socialism, feminism, legalism, climate change, wokeness, the list just goes on and on and on, but ultimately all they are are fig leaves. You know, in the beginning, Adam and Eve got fig leaves to cover their unrighteousness, but it didn't work uh, because they hid from God. Um, you know, man has vainly attempted to justify himself through so many ways, religion, ritual, uh, service, sacrifice, even science, in attempt to appease his conscience and to find the peace, happiness, and fulfillment that he so desperately needs and yet seems unable to find through anything or anywhere. And yet, while science has become the new God or religion to some, it doesn't have the solution. Because neither denial of the problem nor embracing the delusion that man has all the answers can absolve man of his sin and the guilt that he feels deep down inside. And for some of us, it's not that deep. Because man instinctively knows that he is a sinner. And obviously when I say man, I mean men and women, okay? Men and women instinctively know that they are sinners subject to the wrath of God. Romans 1 and verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And this is why people are very quick to describe themselves as a good person. Anytime you talk to somebody on the street, they'll always say, oh well, I'm a good person or I'm a spiritual person. I, I'm, I'm good. Well, who says? You? I mean, how can you be an impartial judge as to whether or not you are good? Uh, Jesus said, no one is good but one, that is God. And there is no way you can become good but by God, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, 
Ephesians 2 and verse 1, here it's talking uh, about our state, uh, the state we were in. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You weren't just needing improvement. You weren't just uh, somebody who was struggling with something. People talk about falling into adultery. You don't fall into adultery. You walk right in with your eyes wide open. Amen. The Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So again, if we're living sinful, rebellious, godless lives, the Bible says it is the spirit of Satan that is working in us and through us. And again, that may be offensive to you and say, you know, might say, well, I'm cultured, I'm educated. Listen, culture and education doesn't cannot change the fact that you're a sinner in need of salvation. You know, the Nazis were cultured. They listened to classical music while they slaughtered six million innocent men, women, and children, uh, Jewish people. So again, I think it's important to make a distinction between, uh, you know, you look at some of the most educated people and they've used their education to create bombs that have, you know, kill and destroy multitudes of people. So again, you know, education or culture uh, uh, do not make you a good person. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus said you must be born again. He didn't say you must get a PhD or you must move to the nice side of the city or live in a penthouse. He said you must be born again. Nothing else can stop you from going to an eternal hell for eternity. So again, this is important for us to grasp. Okay, so it says, um, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and the mind, were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, but God, hallelujah, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. Again, religion in many respects is like getting a rotten apple, coating it with wax, making it look like a nice apple. It looks good, but you know what? Take a bite and you will discover that thing is rotten. Religion cannot save you. Jesus did not say, uh, you, you, you know, that you have to ascribe to or join a religion. He said you must be born again. You must be saved. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ so that you can be redeemed, so you can be made new. Amen? So again, because going to a church doesn't make you a Christian. I've said it a multitude of times. Walking into a garage doesn't make you a car. You must be born again. You must receive Jesus. Uh, you must experience the new birth. And so... The Bible says here that the truth is we were without hope and without God. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What a terrible position to be in where you are without hope, where you have no hope whatsoever. Amen? There is no hope outside of the cross of Calvary. There is no hope outside of the blood of Jesus. Amen? So this is important for us to grasp. We We were literally dead in trespasses and sins with literally nothing able to bridge the massive gap that existed between a holy God and a sinful man. But God promised us a redeemer in in Genesis 3.15. he spoke of the son that would be born of the woman. And it says that, um, uh, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Three fifteen it says, and he will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. And Jesus was bruised around he, he, uh, Christ on the cross. Um, he was wounded for our, our transgressions. He was bruised around iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So Job nineteen twenty five says, I know that my redeemer lives. And that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. This is a man who was unredeemed, crying out for the redemption that would one day be manifested through Jesus Christ. Thank God he made a way for us to approach him. We are separated from God by our sin, but God sent us his son. 
God promises a new birth, true Christ, to all who believe in him. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, that's why the moment you are born again, you become the righteousness of God. But you see, right standing with God and right living before God are two very different things. And many Christians don't understand that. It's important we make this distinction, like I said, between right standing with God and right living before God. Because unless we do, we will be endlessly seeking to attain that which was freely given to us by God. And this is why so many believers live lives of quiet despair, never walking in the peace, victory, and joy that Christ purchased for them at the cross. Martin Luther said this, let Christ's righteousness and grace, not yours, be your refuge. You see, we must not try and find refuge in our righteousness. We must find refuge in his and that is the only place we will find refuge. Second Corinthians 5.21 in the Living Bible. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. You see, an exchange happened at the cross. Today, uh, we had a beautiful service at the cross. Uh, standing under that beautiful 115-foot white cross. It was just a reminder of how big the God is that we serve. How great our God is and how relatively insignificant we are. And yet, in spite of our insignificance, our inadequacy, our inability, He loves us, He calls us, and He declares us His sons and His daughters. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for the blood that He shed there. Amen? Hallelujah. And so, again, it's so important for us to understand this. And um, righteousness is imputed as a consequence of Christ's finished work on the cross. It's immediately given to us upon believing in Christ. It's never earned, merited, or rewarded. Like it says there, an exchange took place at the cross. God took the sinless Christ, poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Clearly, it's a work of God's grace and not the result of man's efforts or virtue. You see, religious people can't understand this because they wrongly believe that it's their performance rather than Christ's performance that recommends them to God. Amen. We don't get to heaven because we're good. We get to heaven because he's good. Yes, I absolutely believe in living holy, but on my best day, I'm going to split hell wide open based on my effort and my performance. No, the only way we go to heaven is because what Jesus did. That is where our righteousness, he has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption my righteousness is in Jesus amen Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and it says <coughs> for by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast for we his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God pre- prepared before and that we should walk in them so, you know, for me, being a preacher of the gospel, that was just the work God had foreordained for me. I don't take any credit for doing anything I do because it's just simply God, something God planned for me to do before I was even born. He planned for me to marry my beautiful wife, Joanna. He planned for us to have five beautiful little babies. I don't believe there are any coincidences or accidents. I believe we're walking in God's divine plan. He said, I know the plans I have for you. How many of you, believe, how many of you are glad that God has a plan that includes you? Amen, it includes me. Amen. He's taught it all true. We don't have to be worried about tomorrow. God is in control in Jesus' name. Amen. And so it says, by grace you've been saved, true faith. This not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. This anyone should boast righteousness is a gift it says by grace not by works our worthiness that you are saved and so we see that while righteousness is a promise sanctification is a process don't get the two mixed up because you'll be full of shame and condemnation I'm not where I need to be but I thank God I'm not where I used to be my wife will confirm 20 years ago when we got married, I was way back there. But, you know, by God's grace, combination of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and my wife, Joanna. Praise the Lord. Amen. She got a husband in kit form, but he's been working on me ever since, as he's been working on you. Amen. And this is why it's so important not to focus on where you are, but where God is bringing you. So righteousness is a promise. Sanctification is a, pro- pro- is a process. And sadly, there are many pastors and churches that don't understand this. And therefore, they place all sorts of 
of unbiblical, unreasonable, and sometimes downright cultish demands upon their people in the name of being righteous or holy. Makeup, jewelry, lipstick, the length of your skirt, head coverings being some of them. I remember when I was single, before, just before I got married, um, I was asked by a lady, uh, uh, visiting a couple of ministers, I was visiting a couple, they were staying in my house, and it was Sunday morning, I was in my room, I was praying in tongues, and I came out, and they were both standing there, and she asked me a question, and it was strange, uh, a question, but it was obviously something that they'd been talking about, and she asked me for my uh, views, um, and, you know, not in the significance of the third pillar in the temple, or of uh, regeneration, or any of these things, she asked me what was my opinion on pantsuits for women and uh, I took a step back because I knew it was a loaded question okay I wasn't married but I just knew because her husband was standing right there beside her and um, so, so she, she had a pantsuit on and um, <laughs> so I was still a relatively young Christian but my answer then was the same as it is now I don't think that jeans are any less holy than a dress. And I don't think that men should be telling women how to dress in the first place, okay? And um, now I know nobody's gonna ever mistake me for a feminist, but I'm just simply saying, I think there are some things you better to stay out of. And sadly, we tend to focus on the outer man when God declares that he looks at the heart, not the hem. How many of you know that? God looks at the heart, not the hem. And, and I appreciate there's a balance to this. You don't want to be dressed in a manner that's overtly sensual or, you know, getting everybody's attention because you're kind of half naked. But you know what? It's not a sin to be stylish. And I say that from personal <laughs> perspective. Uh, you, you know, any of you know me, I, 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 I like clothes, all right? It's just, it's a weakness. But, <laughs> but you know what? To be honest, um. The church where they were insisting that this pastor's, that this worship leader's wife was in sin uh, because she was wearing a pantsuit to church. Uh, you understand what a pantsuit is, you know, instead of a, a, a dress, it's, it's jeans or whatever, a jacket and whatever, okay. Um, I'll be honest, I was in mixed, I had mixed feelings. I said, do I share this or not? But I think it's relevant, okay? So stick with me. But in this church where they were insisting she was in sin because she wasn't wearing a dress that she was wearing, I'm, I'm not against dresses, okay? Praise the Lord. Don't, don't you know, I'm, I don't want to go there. I'm just simply saying that they were saying she was in sin because she was wearing this pantsuit. And this same church had all sorts of crazy, sinful things going on in the background. I'm not going to mention, but, uh, you know, really, really shocking things. And... Uh, this is the thing. Legalism always empowers the flesh. If you're in a church that is legalistic, you will often find that their people are in utter bondage because liberty is not found in the flesh. It's found in faith. Liberty is not found in the flesh. It's in faith. Amen? So again, uh, 1 Peter 3, 4. Rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. I'm not trying to be harsh, but in my experience, it's in this kind of environment that many people end up in the flesh. Because ultimately, the focus of that kind of a church is on the flesh and not the spirit. The Bible refers to the hidden person of the heart because it can't be seen with physical eyes. And ultimately, this should be our focus. Develop our spirits and become Christ-like. Because let me say this, having beautiful jewelry, makeup, and nice clothes doesn't mean that you're a bad person any more than the absence of these means that you're a spiritual person. Hey, just because you have no makeup doesn't mean that you're not full of the devil. Okay? So I'm just saying, uh, we need to see each other through the lens of God's grace, and we need to see each other by the spirit and not by the flesh. Amen? So clearly, Christ is the source of our righteousness. And if people can grasp that, their lives will be changed forever. You're not made Christ-like because you've got a hanky on your head. And I mean, no disrespect to churches that want to do that. That's fine. If that's for you, go for it. I'm just simply saying, I don't believe it makes you any more holy than somebody who doesn't. Okay? So if you can grasp this, this will set some of you free. 1 Corinthians 1.30. But of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 
the new living. God has anointed you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. The King James, but of him are you in Christ, who of God has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. The Bible says that Jesus is your righteousness. Righteousness is not something that you earn or merit or deserve. Jesus is our righteousness because there is literally nothing you can do to make yourself righteous in God's sight. There is no ritual you can undergo, no sacrifice you can make, no prayer you can say that can take away your sins. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. A life of victory is utterly impossible unless you know your righteousness in Christ. Colossians 1, 21 and verse 22. It talks here, and, and, and you need to believe this is who you are. Colossians 1, 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh, true faith, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Do you know that you are holy? You are blameless. You are above reproach in his sight. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to be Pastor John. no. You're not trying to be. That is who you are. Unfortunately, some of you don't believe that. And that is why the devil is walking all over you. That is why hell has been unleashed in your life. Because you're still trying to merit what God has freely given you. You're trying to be who you are. And, and that, that, that is why you're going to be a double-minded man. will be unstable in all of his ways, like the Bible says in James 1. Amen? So again, this is so important. A life of victory is impossible unless you know your righteousness in Christ. You are holy. You are without blame. You are without reproach before God. This is how God, your heavenly Father, sees you. But pastor, you don't know what I did yesterday. I don't, and I don't want to know. But I know it's what he did 2,000 years ago put you in, 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 in God's sight righteous. It made you righteous. Amen. In spite of what you have done. In spite of what any of us have done. Amen. So this is how God our Heavenly Father sees us. He sees us through the blood. He sees us as righteous. And if you ever begin to see yourself the way your Heavenly Father sees you, you will become an unstoppable force. There is no demon in hell that will be able to stand before a child of God when they understand their righteousness. So I have a number of points. First one is this. Righteousness is by faith in the finished work of Christ. We have a problem. Our sin. God provided a solution. His son. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we don't seek peace. We have peace. We don't find God. He found us. Amen. That's why we, we, you know, we can't take credit for anything. It's all done through Christ. First John 2, uh, 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you, do you sin not? But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ is our advocate. Because religion starts from a faulty proposition. It starts with the problem, what must I do? Well, whereas Christianity starts with the promise, what he has done. Acts uh, 16, 30, 31. Uh, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved in your household. Amen. This is what we simply do. Righteousness is by faith in the finished work of Christ. Romans 4 and verse 3. Talking here about Abraham. And it says, Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. How is righteousness given? It's by believing. Amen? Uh, verse 17. And it says, As it is written, I've made you a father in many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God gives life to the dead, calls those things that are not as though they are. Abraham believed God. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. As the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before and saying, in you all nations shall be blessed. Sorry, uh, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So you have, you have two witnesses here that declare Abraham believed God. James chapter 2 and verse 23. And it says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Why does the Bible say the exact same thing three times? I believe God is emphasizing an essential truth that every one of us must grasp. 
Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Why are there so many Christians who are trying to become righteous by doing good things, by living right, by getting rid of this and by changing that and by doing the other and by adjusting this area and hopefully I'm going to get to the point where I'm righteous. No, you're coming at it from the wrong position. Abraham believed God and that is how he became righteous. Amen. Abraham simply believed God when millions of others didn't and that is why he is the father of the faith. He is our example. He didn't earn God's favor because he was holier or more virtuous than others. Read the book of Genesis and you will be struck by how clearly he wasn't perfect. Clearly he made many mistakes. Um, you, you see what he did with Abimelech and his wife, etc. But he was a man of faith who took God at his word and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And this is the pattern or principle that would be ultimately fulfilled through the ministry of Christ. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting. What is the key word? Whoever believes. Sadly, there are many who do not believe. And ultimately, that pathway they choose will terminate in an eternal hell. That is why we have to preach the gospel. Because ultimately, whether you believe in Christ determines where you spend eternity. Righteousness, our right standing with God, is given to all who believe or who put their faith in Jesus. And this is why the very moment you begin to base your relationship with God on your performance rather than on Christ's performance, you begin to lose your joy and your peace. And that's not how it works. It is by faith to all who believe. John Calvin, we shall never be clothed with the righteousness of Christ except we first know assuredly that we have no righteousness of our own. Are you convinced of the fact that you've no righteousness of your own? Are you still, like so many other believers, sincerely trying to save yourself? Romans 2.21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood, true faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who is faith in Jesus when the Bible speaks of the righteousness of God it infers that there are other kinds of righteousness self-righteousness or the righteousness of man earned through ritual religion sacrifice good works which clearly won't stand the test of time the Bible talks about the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5 in the Berean. For he was indeed crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. And though we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him to serve you. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. And I want to ask you that today as you're watching. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith or have you given up one form of religion for another? Because let me see this. I was brought up as a Catholic, but you know what? I've been in Pentecostal circles for 30 years. I see just as much religion in Pentecostal spiritual churches as any other denomination. And yet we rather uh, condescendingly look down on other uh, denominations thinking we have it all together. No, we're full of religion. God wants to set us free from that. Because you can have religion or you can have righteousness. You can't have both. Amen? So... Uh, <laughs> 2 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Can't you see for yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you actually fail the test. Nothing can damn a man. Uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon. Nothing can damn a man but his own righteousness. Nothing can save him but the righteousness of Christ. Like it says there in the, Berean, in the Berean Bible, it says, examine yourselves to see you in your faith. Test yourselves. Can't you see for yourself Jesus in you unless you fail the test? What a terrifying thought that people would die trusting in their own righteousness. Trusting in their own virtue. Trusting in their own goodness or their own works to recommend themselves to God. I'm telling you, you will be, you will be terribly disappointed. Again, Charles Spurgeon Nothing can damn a man but his own righteousness. Nothing can save him but the righteousness of Christ. When you say, I'm a good person, that is a man's righteousness and it will damn you. 
Amen? So again, uh, do you have a revelation of righteousness? If you don't, the enemy will walk all over you. You see, this righteousness of God is by faith in Christ and he's finished work alone. Some of you need to stop trying to save yourselves and simply surrender to the salvation that is freely offered to you through faith in Jesus Christ. The salvation that was wrought by Christ at the cross. Philippians 3.9, and may be find, found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is true, faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Romans, 9, uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. For, um, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to read it here. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And it says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We need to confess and declare that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Otherwise you will be full of inadequacy, feelings of defeat, feelings of shame, condemnation, guilt, etc. No, you need to declare, Lord, you are my righteousness. Righteousness is conferred upon you the moment you believe in Christ. This is why Satan relentlessly attacks your mind with doubt. It's his only weapon. He wants you to doubt that which you can only receive and walk in by believing. So, firstly, righteousness is by faith in the finished work of Christ. Secondly, righteousness enables us to access the presence of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the glorious opportunity we have to come into his presence. Righteousness opens the door for us to come into God's presence. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's holy place because of the blood of Jesus. The NIV. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. In the King James. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You see, the blood gives us access. We don't have access because of how long we have prayed or how loud we have prayed or what we have given or what great thing we have done for God. There is nothing great we can do in light of the cross. This morning, standing under the cross, it just again re-emphasized that point to me. How small any one of us are and how great our Lord and Savior Jesus is. He gets all of the glory. And therefore, we must understand it is only the blood that gives us access you, you can give your life for Jesus. Ultimately, uh, that's not going to get you to heaven. It's because of what he did on the cross. And so uh, righteousness enables us to access God's presence. Having boldness, therefore, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What's this referring to there? It's referring to the holy of holies. We see that in the Old Testament where the priest could only enter by the blood. Colossians 1.20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You see, there is peacekeepers and there are peacemakers. I remember I was in a pastor's house one time and he had a replica of a, it was a Colt a gun that, you know, cowboys would have used. And he said they used to refer to it as a peacemaker. Because you would go and you would make peace. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you would deal with your issue, deal with your problem. Well, the Bible says that Jesus made peace through the blood of the cross. We would not have found peace any other way. But Jesus made peace for us by laying down his life on the cross. And therefore, righteousness enables us to access God's holy presence. The blood makes us righteous and gives us access to God. Because in the Old Testament, the high priest couldn't enter or access the Holy of Holies except for once a year and not without blood of a lamb. He would go through this veil, which was 30 feet wide, 30 feet high, four inches thick. They used to tie a rope around his ankle so that if he had any unconfessed sin, when he went in there, he would drop dead just like that. But he would go in and offer the blood that would cover the sins of the people. And again, you know, it was a bit like road tax. You pay it this year, you have to pay it again next year. Property tax, you pay it this year, you pay it again next year. But you know what? The Bible talks about uh, John the Baptist got that revelation. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, the blood of Jesus takes away our sin. 
You know, all of us have things in our past that we're ashamed of. Things we wished we didn't do or say or places we wished we didn't go or et cetera, et cetera. All of us have failed and fallen short of God's glory. But you know what? Thank God that Christ has clothed us in his righteousness. Our past no longer exists. And you see, this veil was symbolic of the separation that exists between, a holy, between God and his holiness and man in his sinfulness. And this physical separation was a symbol of a, the barrier that existed between God and man as a consequence of his sin. Like I said, it, the, the, you know, the veil, it was a separation between God and his holiness, man and his sinfulness. And, and you know, one couldn't go to the other. And, and so it's the blood that gave him access in the Old Testament. And it's the blood that gives us access in the New We access God's presence through the blood. And this is why the veil was torn when Christ was on the cross shedding his blood. Matthew 27, 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. You know what God was saying? He was saying, the doors are open to you, my child. What did Jesus say when he rose from the dead and appeared to Mary? He said, uh, tell them that I, I, I go to my father and your father, my God and your God. The veil was split and we could now access the very throne of God. We could access his presence. That's why uh, it's important to understand you're not a servant. You're a son. You're a daughter. We're not slaves of God. We are, we are children of God. Hallelujah. Because of the blood. We are righteous. And, and so when God split the veil, he was saying, the very gates of heaven stand open before every blood-bought child of God. Not because we are worthy, but because he is worthy. That's why Revelation 5 verse 8 to 14 says, worthy is the lamb. Thank you, Jesus. Worthy is the lamb. Revelation 5 and verse 8, and it says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, uh, fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. God hears your prayers. Child of God, God hears your prayers. Your situation may not have changed yet, but he has heard your prayers. And your prayers are precious to God. You know, the Bible says that they walk on streets of gold in heaven. That's what, how much God values gold. Like somebody once said, if you want to see how, how much God values money, just see the people he gives it to. But that's another issue. But, but, but you know what? God treasures our prayers. The Bible says he keeps our prayers in, 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 in golden bowls, that they are precious to him. And it said, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And you've redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah. Can, can you just join in with the, with the angels in heaven as we declare that worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Hallelujah. You see, worthy is the Lamb. And God has graciously conferred his righteousness upon all of us who believe in him. And this is the good news of the gospel. Thank you. Uh, the worship group can come forward. And I'm going to finish this message next week. But you know what? I believe it, it's, it's, it's a subject that deserves uh, maybe a little bit more time than I'd, I'd planned. But that's okay. We're going to give a second week to righteousness. Because there's something about righteousness. When we get the revelation of righteousness, it will set us free. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, God has graciously conferred his righteousness upon us who believe. And that's why the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so I hope and pray that as you've been listening today, that God has been speaking to you and encouraging you and maybe 
You know, bringing, bringing to light maybe some areas in your life where you've got into error or deception or where you've been, you know, seeking to recommend yourself to God or maybe you've been basing your relationship with God on your performance and so when you're doing well, you feel like you're close to God and when you're not doing so well, you feel distant from God and th- that is not how righteousness works. It's important for us to grasp that understanding that Jesus is our righteousness. Hallelujah. And he's always perfect. Amen. We are righteous in God's sight because of the blood that Christ shed on the cross. And so today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, maybe you've never, you know, accessed the righteousness that God offers to all who believe in him. I'm not asking, do you have a religion? Religion will not save you. Religion will not get you to heaven. And that may seem like a paradox to those of you who are listening. But again, it's important to make the distinction between religion and relationship. To make a distinction between our performance and his promise. To understand that we don't get to heaven because of how good we are. We get there because of how good he is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. You can believe in him today. You can accept Christ as your Savior today. And I'd like to lead you in a very simple prayer for you to commit your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, behold, he's coming and his reward is with him. Hallelujah. It talks about the blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Praise God for the reward goes before them. You know, God will reward you for what you do for him. But you know, the greatest reward we have is knowing that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life for eternity. Oh, when that moment comes and we stand before those pearly gates and they swing wide before us. Psalm 24 talks about swing wide, you heavenly gates. Praise God. I know this. I'm not perfect. You can ask my wife. I've made many mistakes in my life, but I know this. Those gates will swing wide for me. Not because I've been a preacher. Not because I've done everything right. But because Jesus Christ shed his blood and he is my righteousness. And therefore, I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear devils. I don't have to fear destruction. I don't have to fear what this guy is plotting or what plan is happening there or what new age thing is happening here. I don't care. My focus is on Christ. And that's the focus I'm going to keep. That's the focus of my preaching. I'm going to preach Christ crucified because Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. We can't necessarily change some of the things that are happening in our world, but we can keep our eyes on Jesus. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So I want to give you an opportunity. If you would like to put your faith in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior, you can be made righteous in a moment. Hallelujah. Could you just lift your hand and say thank you to the Lord right now? I just sense his presence. I know he is here. And I know that he will confirm his word with signs following. Maybe some of you need a miracle today. I know the Lord's going to touch you at the point of your need. But this is the greatest miracle you will ever receive in your life, is to receive Jesus as your Savior. Just pray the simple prayer at me. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that you were born of a virgin. I believe that you lived a perfect life. And I believe that when you died on the cross, you died in my place, bearing my sin and shame. Come into my life, Lord Jesus Christ. And forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for washing me in your precious blood. I declare that you are my righteousness. My faith is in you, Jesus. I will not be put to shame. If you believe that, give a shout of praise to the Lord today, right where you are. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus.
we just thank you, Lord. We just worship you. We thank you for your goodness. We just want to thank him for his goodness this morning that we could have that service in the park. And just reminding you, if you're free, you come along 9 a.m. on Sunday to the Phoenix Park. We're not sharing it on social media. I know we're sharing it in our service now, but we're not you know, spreading around on social media. Um, but I just want to clarify as well that the Eventbrite links for our in-person service will not be available this week. It'll be the week uh, that they are easing the restrictions, the 10th of May. And just something I feel we really need to pray as the church, and we're, I'm just preempting this now, that the cases have gone up a bit more again, and, and this is the response the government has. When the cases go up, they start to pull back things that they've said. So we're just in agreement you know, because this is what they've said, is that the, the churches can go back from the week of the 10th onwards, which would mean that we would be here on the 16th of May. It does two weeks today. But we need to keep standing and believing that this virus, the cases are not going to go up. They're going to keep going down, that we will be able to do that. And I, I just ask as well, please, we get so many people asking, oh, you know, all the information about Eventbrite and the times of services, this and everything is posted on social media. It'll be on Facebook, it'll be on our Instagram, it'll be on our website, allnations.ie, so that you don't need to be constantly messaging us, it'll all be out there. So if you can just keep an eye on those social media platforms, particularly though, that the, not this week, but the following week, just that so we keep an eye on the news as well, but we are believing that nothing will hinder us uh, from coming back to church to in-person services. We can't wait to see you all. It's been way too long, but please keep that in your prayers. Amen. You know, we really appreciate you keeping us in prayer, and particularly uh, my wife, Joanna, and, and the kids. I know that Joanna's been bearing, I suppose, a lot of the pressure um, of this. You know, we've not, uh, this hasn't been our plan but I do believe God has sovereignly led us by His Spirit to do what we're doing. And um, so I just appreciate your prayer because we have been under tremendous pressure over this last season, as have all pastors. And I appreciate you keeping all pastors and ministers in prayer. You know, it's been a very pressurized season. And, um, but you know, by God's grace, I believe we're coming out the other side. But um, uh, you know, I'd appreciate you keeping me in prayer because I really have no uh, desire to do time. Uh, and um, so, but we do believe that what we're doing is, is the right thing in terms of, of just gathering to worship and pray and give Christ the glory that belongs to him. And for me as a pastor to be able to minister to some of the members of my congregation. And so I just want to pray for every person watching today. You may need a miracle in your life. I don't know, maybe it's cancer or maybe you're struggling with depression or maybe you've even been contemplating taking your life. I don't know. Maybe you're struggling financially or maybe your marriage is in pieces right now. I don't know what's happening, but the Lord does and he loves you. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we come together in agreement for every person watching, whatever they may need, that you may touch them at the point of their need, Lord. Bless them, heal them, touch them, provide for them, deliver them, Lord. Guide them, direct them, lift them. Hallelujah. Protect them, Father. Let your favor surround them as a shield in Jesus' name. Because we are righteous because of the blood. We have access because of the blood. And we come boldly before your throne of grace today. And we give you the glory and the praise and the honor. And we stand in the gap for Ireland today in the name of Jesus. North and South, Lord. We declare, Lord, revival. We declare salvation. We declare a great awakening in our nation and in the nations in the name of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. People, it's time. Let's take it by faith. Let's take our nations by faith. Ask me. I will give you the nations the Bible says we take this nation by faith in the name of Jesus we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord Jesus Christ is Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of Ireland he is Lord of Great Britain he is Lord of the nations Jesus Christ is Lord Jesus Christ is Lord we declare that today Lord you will have your way Jesus you are Lord I don't know where you're watching from today. Just declare it over your nation. Jesus Christ is Lord of America. He's Lord of Canada. He's Lord of Ghana. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. We believe it. We declare it. And we thank you for it. 
Have a wonderful week. We're going to finish with a song. Let's lift our voices in praise to God. Hallelujah.